0: Like five six minutes at the beginning of each service. Just to do we interview with, with someone over the July and August. So today Jackie Coulter is on the stand. Do you want to come up, Jackie? <laughs> <laughs> we we'll have we we'll have preempted Jackie. It is five to seven minutes. <clears throat> All right, Jackie. <laughs> no, I've known Jackie for you know a few years now, a faithful member of of Emmanuel. Uh, Jackie, do you want to just tell us a wee bit about you know a wee bit about yourself and your journey so far? Well, probably
1: looking around here, yeah, the grandfather of this gathering, <laughs> because I'm probably the oldest member, first start. But uh, yes, so I'm worried. that Joe, Joe is well known in the crafting circles of Lurgan Emmanuel. I think as a few ladies here would know that, but. Yes, um, I was saved in 75, but unfortunately, I went through a period where I fell away from the Lord. But, uh, cut a long story short, I'm not going to prolong this, that I come back to the Lord about five years ago. I, was, I lost a marriage. Through my waywardness, I spent times in hospital requiring six stents in for coronary artery disease probably brought on by a lot of stress and the lifestyle he was living. But God used that opportunity in my life to let me see that what I really was looking for was him all along. I was searching, but I was searching in the world instead of going back to the Lord like the prodigal. I needed to return to the Father. And one day I just landed in the house when I was laid low. I climbed into the roof space and got my Bible out and there I had that encounter with my Heavenly Father again and I cried and he, he brought me back and the journey has been good since that and I've learned so much from it and I would just like to say to anybody that's going through that, never give up you know, God loves you God always loves you, it's not conditional it's ongoing even though at times you might seem far away but he's always there but so, say I'm retired now and enjoying it and just with grandkids and stuff like that, and with the church, and uh, my life's uh, been good since I've come back to Christ.
0: Thanks, Jackie. I think, you know, whenever you're, you're talking about going through difficult times, quite often when, when I hear of people who have been through difficult times, to me it's, it's near like the, the birth of a ministry, because mm-hmm. when, you go through, when you go through certain issues, you're then, you're probably more qualified than a lot of people to, to speak to others that are maybe going through the same sort of issues, so... I appreciate your heart Jackie and and making yourself vulnerable with that Uh, yourself and and Jason are very faithful on Friday afternoons evangelising around Portadown this long time do you want to tell us a bit about your experience in that?
1: Well maybe not so much now me and Jason (laughs) around the towns on a Friday but we did start this up a good while back and well our approach to it always was that You know, we went on the town looking for encounters. We weren't going to force the gospel down anybody's throat. We just prayed that God would lead us to those that had an open heart and an open mind for the things of God. And we did get opportunities to witness. Sometimes we were led into situations where we felt, you know, well, how did that happen? But it did happen. And Jason could probably talk as much about this as me. But we, we had a good times on the town, and we really enjoyed it, and we were glad that we always did say that it would be good if somewhere come that we could recommend people to go to. There's plenty of good churches around Portadown, but we always felt, you know, if we could say, well, come to the place where we go to, and hear the Lord brought Emmanuel to Portadown, because I always used to wonder why he sent me to Lurgan, you know. I believe I went there as a missionary, but (laughs) it it was all in his plan and that was to bring me back here. But uh, yes, but I believe encounters in outreach is every day. You know, I just pray for opportunities every day that God will put someone across my path. And he has done in some strange situations, but beware, God can take you up on your word. And he can put you in awkward situations, and where you maybe have to go to witness to somebody where it's not so nice, <laughs> really. I've I've seen it, and I st- I'll give you an instance. I stood in a chippy one day, and the Lord just told me to tell the woman behind the counter that God loved her, and the people in the chippy, and I had to do it because if i had have walked out of there, I would have felt bad by not doing it, you know. And there's so many. I don't want to take too much time.
0: No, no, appreciate that, Jackie. I know it takes a lot of boldness whenever you're prompted like that, and you, know, you know, in the spirit. But uh, to, you know, to me, you really have an evangelist's heart. But you're also very much a man of the word. I know you love studying God's word. But what, what kind of legacy would you like to leave? Like, what would you like to be remembered for?
1: Yeah. Well, what what I would really boost, like to be reminded for that first and foremost that it was not first, that it was a good husband that I was a good father, but most of all that I would love to be reminded that I had a love for the lost, that I had a concern for the people of Portadown that are not sitting here today and maybe not sitting in any church any day of the week, but you know my heart would be for the lost and the lowly of the of our community, the alcoholics, the drug addicts, the young people that are just lost and they're searching everywhere but the right place, and that's, I'd like to be reminded that somebody had a heart for the people.
0: Thanks, Jackie. And just lastly, how can we best pray for you?
1: Well, the best way to pray for me is to pray that for health and for boldness to continue. I don't think I've ever been short of that, really. <laughs> but uh, I just, I just, it's all in. God's way and there's nothing of me in this because you know salvation is of the Lord and I would just pray I just would pray that God would use me and Joe in these days that we would be a light onto the path of our people that people would see Christ within us and would give glory to him
0: Ok well listen Jackie we'll just, we'll just finish by praying
1: for you i I just say one thing before I finish I have a sister Audrey who goes to St Mark's Church she's a Christian but already has cancer, and unfortunately, we believe it's terminal. We don't know what the time length is, but I would ask you just to remember, you know, it's that you remember in your prayers, because this is the second sister that I will be losing in two years, and uh, you know, just think about her and um, think about all those that this time's maybe going through hard times with health-wise. Thank you.
0: That's my feet few Father, I just want to thank you for Jackie. I just want to lift Audrey to you there that he mentioned, Lord. And just with the the health situation that she's facing, Lord, I just pray that you'll put your hand on her, that you'll give her the grace for the days and the weeks ahead, Father. And we thank you for your healing hand and the miracles that you can do, Lord. Lord. So we just want to lift her into your presence, Father, and and have her in the center of your will. Pray for Jackie and Joe as well. Thank you for the example that they are. I thank you for the, the evangelist heart that they have wanting to reach out to people. and just pray for, for continued boldness, Lord, for continued courage, Lord, to reach out to those people that, that they are uniquely gifted to reach. Father, I just thank you that, that Jackie is a, a fisher of men. Lord, I just pray that you'll bring many more people into the kingdom through him and Joe, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jackie.
2: Great. Um, so we're going to start our series now on the Holy Spirit. And uh, this little uh, slide was done by one of our creative people. So it's not a mistake. <laughs> okay. Nobody's been out with a rubber. Um, but I think one of the things that it communicates as well is, is that we find it hard to, to understand, to describe, to see who the Holy Spirit is completely. And um Maybe the Holy Spirit is a bit mysterious uh, or unclear to you. And I think that um, we can always learn a lot more, particularly about the Holy Spirit, uh, if we really try and and look and, and we'll find that in Scripture. So over the next, probably the next eight weeks, we're going to be on a journey uh, it's something that we feel as a leadership team in Emmanuel that it's something we really want to lean into. Is who is the Holy Spirit? What does He do? How does He operate, and all that kind of stuff? Um, we recognise that God is doing something amazing in these days through His Spirit. Uh, you know that He's brought this group of people together. You know from a couple of different churches, and He's knit their hearts together. That's the work of, this, of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. Um, what God is doing in in kind of our our church network in the Emmanuel Churches in Tobar, which is our our kind of collective church network. The the Holy Spirit's doing something amazing. And um, that's brilliant. And what I'm going to try and do today is I'm going to try and drop the, the, okay? It's quite easy to say, isn't it? But um, do you know the way... um, if if you say like the table or the chair, but we say the Holy Spirit, as if the Holy Spirit is an end as a as a thing, an object. So I'm gonna try and say Holy Spirit. I'm gonna go against like the last forty-three years of my life and try and just say Holy Spirit and not put the on it. And it's not to be cool or, or to to be trendy, but it's to actually help us to think that um Holy Spirit is a person and it's not a the. Okay? Just in case you think I am being weird, I can be weird in lots of other ways. Um, so, I grew up in in a, a traditional church, um, a brethren church, and it wasn't the most religious, strict kind of brethren church around. Um, but we didn't believe that Holy Spirit did what He did. Um, the stuff we read in the Bible, particularly in Acts, that. That stuff was not for today. We believed that at some stage in the past, nobody was really quite sure. So either when the apostles died or when the canon of scripture was completed, but sometime within the first couple of hundred years, Holy Spirit took a back seat. And the gifts of the Spirit um, they, they don't really exist for today or anything like that. And so some of you may have grown up with that teaching or you might not have grown up with that teaching, but you may have grown up with that reality that Holy Spirit and how he moves and how he operates is something that was for a particular time or for particularly weird and wacky people. Okay. I'm sure there's none in this room, but you might know one, um, and uh, so, you know, to my horror, when I was 13, my parents decided to move to a different church down the road where they did believe in that weird and wacky stuff. And I remember the first few weeks going, you know, as a, as a kid and, you know, there was a band at the front and my parents were like, isn't it really cool that there's a band at the front? But then people started putting their hands up, you know, uh, I don't think they all needed the toilet at once, but, you know, they were they were worshipping, they were dancing about the place and... Um, people were speaking in tongues and different stuff. And so as a 13-year-old, he was obviously really cool, as all 13-year-olds are. Um, I thought this was completely weird and strange. But over time, I got to understand that, um, particularly when I was baptized with water and, and somebody prayed for me to to receive the Holy Spirit, that there was this infilling, this encounter with the presence of God in a way that I had... Um, Not really felt before. And so we want to talk about spiritual gifts in this series. We want to talk about the fruits of the Spirit and how to do all that kind of stuff. But today I want to talk about the person, Holy Spirit, who he is, what he's about, so that that becomes our framework of thinking and encounter. One of the things that I've realized um, being a pastor for about 12 years and being in church leadership for a long time before that is that you try really hard to make people behave in church. And we teach people the ways of Jesus. Here's how Jesus lived his life, right? And here's how you should live your life. And, and And we teach people things like, um, praying and reading your Bible and going to church, those are really good things. And not doing really bad things is is that's really good too. And um that that's how you grow in the Christian faith is is through changing your behavior over time. Now, the problem with that is it's only a half truth. And and the reason why I say that is if you're to read the old testament, what you will find is that God presents to a people, he calls a people to himself, and he presents to them a way of living. And he gives them the law, and he, he says, here's how you should live. Here's who I am as God, as holy, and here's how you should relate to me and how you should live. And consistently, throughout the Old Testament, they can't do it. Okay? And, and God then enters in and says, well, I'm going to help you, I'm going I'm to help you. And and there's um, a number of covenants in the Bible around that. But what you find is that people can't do it. And then it comes to us. And we give our lives to Jesus. And we think, right, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say that. I'm going to do the the other thing. And we find that we can't do it either. Because we've forgotten something. In fact, we've forgotten someone. And Jesus gives gave of himself he gave his life up for us and his blood covers us and we're presented holy before God and for us then to walk the life of Jesus that he modeled out it requires something that isn't in us or that wasn't in us before we gave our lives to him and that's Holy Spirit. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are holy in God's sight and therefore are an acceptable resting place for the actual living presence and person of God in Holy Spirit. And towards the the end of of the Old Testament, uh, as the prophets were looking forward and saying, and God was speaking through them to God's people, We read this really important message. I don't have it up on the screen. I have a few other things up on the screen. But this is from Ezekiel 36. And it says, for verse 24, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle you with water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from all idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So so God promises Israel, and it's a promise that comes to us as well through Jesus, that that we will be clean, that we will be cleansed by God, that he will take the initiative and he will cleanse us and clean us, that he will present us to himself as completely pure, that God is going to do a work of transformation in us where he takes out our heart, he takes our heart of stone, and he replaces it with something supernaturally, a heart of flesh, and he'll put his spirit in us, that he will move us to keep his decrees and to be careful to follow it, his laws, and, and we will be his people, and we, he will be our God. And so that's what God says um, through the prophet Ezekiel. This is what I'm going to do in the future. And so, so then Jesus comes and he comes in the flesh and he dies on the cross and he, sp- he pours out his body, he pours out his blood and we become washed clean. But not only that, but something transformational, something supernatural happens in us and through us and God places his spirit in us to move us, to keep his decrees, and to follow his laws. And, um, and that's what I want us to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can um, locate the Gospel of John. Some of the words are going to be up on the screen here anyway. Um, but it'd be good if you could like, look at it in the Bible, and there's some Bibles at the end of the rows. And if we take a look at the Gospel of John, we'll see that the Holy Spirit is introduced and talked about more in John's Gospel than the other three Gospels. And, and, and um, so some scholars would say this is why our Bibles go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, because really they should go Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, Acts, because Luke and Acts are actually like Volume 1 and Volume 2. So why stick John in before Acts? And one of the reasons for that is that when we read in Acts about the Holy Spirit and what Holy Spirit does, we need John, we need to have read John to make sense of who the Holy Spirit is. And uh, so John's gospel starts with the words, in the beginning. And this reflects back to where? The creation, okay, Genesis, in the beginning. And what we find is that in the beginning, God is there. In fact, before anything else is there, God is there. And God speaks creation into being. So we have God and we have the words being spoken. And the word represents um, Jesus. And so at the start of John chapter 1, verse 1, we, say, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so Jesus is presented as the word that's part of creation. And Jesus is the living word. He's the word made flesh. And so God is there at the beginning. Jesus is there at the beginning. And and in Genesis 1 verse 2, we also read that someone else is there at the beginning. That it says that the spirit hovered over the deep or the spirit hovered over the waters. So if John and John's gospel is presenting things and saying, there's something new, there's a new creation, there's something that was always there that's going to be here again, it shouldn't be surprising to us that at the start of John's gospel, if God is there and Jesus is there, that somebody else is going to be there too. And so then we read on in John chapter 1, verses 32 um, to 34, that when... When uh, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, um, this is what John says. He said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And so when Jesus gets baptized, we know how that story goes. You know, Jesus is in, is, goes down to be baptized by John. And it says that, that, that God speaks from heaven, that the Spirit descends as a dove and rests or remains on uh, Jesus. And so we have this picture of the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father is speaking. He's saying, this is my son in whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. We have the spirit remaining on Jesus and we have Jesus himself as fully man and fully God. And so we have this revelation of these three. And so we are... we believe in the trinity we don't believe in in modalism or or any kind of other uh, expression or, or way of thinking about god and and modalism is is basically where you know people would say that it's just one god but he expresses himself in, in a couple of different ways you know but it's really just the one god but we we believe in a slightly more complex and mysterious three in one that there are three persons um, but they are one that they are connected together but in, in this passage and in other passages, we clearly see the Trinity represented. And um, if we look at the life of Jesus, what we see is from his baptism onwards, is when his uh, earthly ministry starts, we see someone whose life is marked by an infilling of the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit remaining on him. And so when we look at... at uh, uh, other accounts in, in Matthew and Luke, we see that when Jesus was filled with the Spirit at his baptism, it said that the Spirit led him out to the, into the desert where he was tempted. He was out in the desert for 40 days. And that the Spirit led him out from the desert again, and, and then he goes on, he, he lives and uh, operates under the power of the Spirit throughout his earthly ministry. So Jesus is doing that. Um, miracles are happening, lives are being changed and transformed. And, and this religious leader called Nicodemus, he, he's trying to figure out who Jesus is. He's actually a, um, a teacher of the law, and he comes to Jesus at night. And that's uh, the passage I want us to look at um, for a few moments. So I'll just read it off the screen, actually. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, "'Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again.' "'How can someone be born when they are old?' Nicodemus asked. "'Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born.' Jesus answered, "'Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit.' Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teachers of Jesus, and you do not understand these things. And so... um, Nicodemus, who is a religious leader, he he's a holder of the truth. So the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they, they hold the keys of the truth in that day and in that society. They're the ones that uphold the law. But he's coming to Jesus, and first of all, he calls Jesus rabbi. So he's saying, I acknowledge you, and I acknowledge your authority. I acknowledge you as a teacher, and I want to know something, Um I want to find out more. And he comes to him at night. And so some people say this is because he was embarrassed or suspicious. He was certainly um, at the very least curious. Um, But he is searching for truth. He sees something that's different. There's something different about Jesus. So the Pharisees and the teachers of law, we already have all the law. We already know all the stuff. But Jesus is different. Why is he different? And uh, I just want you to see something in these scriptures is quite interesting. He said, in verse 2, it says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if, you were not, if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And so um, Jesus is revealing the truth of the kingdom of God to this guy. And if you look at all the other times when Jesus talks to religious leaders, he is very standoffish with them. You know, he he won't really engage with them in the same sort of way. But he sees something in Nicodemus that he's really looking, and so he says, "You can't see the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense. You're confused because you haven't experienced a rebirth. But when you do, you will see." You will see differently, you will understand differently, you will think differently. And so he then be- begins to explain what that means and what that looks like. And you can see that Nicodemus is like, I, I don't really get this. You ha- how can you get into your mother's womb again? How- what does it mean to be to be born again, to be changed and transformed? And Jesus, I don't know if Jesus is despairing in verse 10, but he says, like, like you're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? Um or maybe it was a, maybe it was just a wee kind of a wee thing of Jesus to really push back to Nicodemus and go think about this think about it and the fact that if he had thought about it he would have thought about the, the verses that we read out earlier in Ezekiel 20, uh, 36 where it says i will sprinkle you with water and you will be clean and i will give you a new heart which speaks of what cleansing and rebirth which is exactly what Jesus did when he spoke in John chapter 3 so um what Jesus is talking about is about being born again. He's given us picture of the Holy Spirit as like a a spiritual midwife bringing about spiritual rebirth. Jesus said that through His blood, through His sacrifice, there will come a way that you can be spiritually born again. Um, because because we're we're dead, we need rebirth. Um, Paul says it like this. Um, in in Ephesians 2 he says you were dead in your sins and your transgressions but you've been brought to life and so we're we're birthed to life and and so what the Holy Spirit does is he, he brings our spirits to life they're dead because of sin and because then our spirits come to life the Holy Spirit can come and rest on us And lots of things happen. I'm going to look at what it means for the spirit to bring revelation for ourselves and revelation of our relationship with God over the next while. But one of the things, for example, that happens is that when we're born, we're born again. The baby that we are spiritually, one one of the first things that happens is that a baby is presented to its parents and to its father And it actually says in Romans 8, verse 15, that it's through the Spirit that we are able to cry, Abba, Father. And so we're brought into the family of God supernaturally through the birthing that the Spirit brings in our lives. Um, And so Jesus says as well, he says, you know, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where word is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And that's fascinating, isn't it? That if we are born again, if we are born of the Spirit, we should look a little bit like the wind. It's pretty much what these verses are saying and what, what uh, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. He says, if you're born again, you should be like the wind. It blows where it, ple- it pleases. You know, it's powerful. And why would Jesus use that term? Why would Jesus use that description of what the spirit does? And and it's interesting then for someone who is Nicodemus, who is basically a religious leader, who spent all his life following the law, following set patterns of behavior and strict religious observance, that he has excluded himself from certain uh, people groups. He has a monotonous form of of, uh, predictability about his life. He's formal, he's religious, he's safe, he knows what's right, he knows what's wrong. He follows very set patterns in his life, and even in terms of being a Pharisee, in terms of what he wears and what he says, where he goes to, how he operates. But Jesus said, see the life that you're living, Nicodemus. It's not supposed to look like that. It's supposed to look more like someone who's blown by the wind. But... It's not chaos. The wind is not chaos. And, and Nicodemus as well shouldn't have been that surprised at Jesus using that term about being blown by the wind for a very good reason. You see, the word spirit in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, means breath or wind. And in, in Greek as well, so you have these, these two words, rua in the Old Testament and Numa in the New Testament. So when uh, this guy who had been familiar with the law was told, you should be like the wind. Somebody who's born again, is born of the spirit, should be like the spirit, and therefore they should be like the wind. No one knows where they're coming from. No one knows where they're going. They're, They're moving in a different pattern, in a different way, to everything else around them. And so Nicodemus would have known, oh right, yeah, you know, the spirit, the wind, the breath of God. That makes sense to me. And um, it's a challenge to us as well. And the rest of John's gospel and all the other gospels, we see a pattern of life in Jesus that looks like Jesus blowing in to towns and villages, blowing through social and religious boundaries of the day. He goes where people don't normally go. He says what people don't normally say. He approaches situations and circumstances differently. He will not be curtailed. He will not be forced. He will not be led in any direction except the direction that he believes is the right way to go. Why? Because Jesus is being blown by the wind of the Holy Spirit. And and, and so that's the difference. On one hand, we have Nicodemus, rules, regulations, formality, structure, behaviour. We have Nicodemus doing that, and we have Jesus, on the other hand, going... And even when you're reading Mark, like in Mark chapter 1, there's all these miracles happening and the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're up in the mountain praying and there's all these people down here and they all want tales. Do you know there's a big meeting going on? It's fantastic. There's thousands. And Jesus is like, well, come on, we'll go over here. Come on, we'll go to this village and that village. I'm not going to follow what you think is the right way to go or the right way to do. Well, I'm going to follow what God's saying. And Jesus said that he only does what the Father is doing. He's led by the Father. He's not forced into the structures and systems of man. And so if we want to think about what does the wind of the Spirit look like in our lives, we look at the pattern of Jesus and we see that Jesus will go to the broken Samaritan woman that Jesus actually had a reputation of being a friend of sinners because he would rather sit with them around a the meal and talk to people who were hungry for truth than have a discussion with the religious leaders or do their thing. And, and for me, I think it's an exciting kind of challenge to that. But Jesus promises actually that, that we will do the same. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. He will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit comes with the words as well. You know, it's better that I go away. Jesus said to his disciples, because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come. Holy Spirit will come and he will live in you and through you and you will be my witnesses. And... Therefore, we need to get to know Holy Spirit and we need to get to know his ways because we would all love if, if anybody said, Would you like to be around in Jesus' day, would all be like, Yes, I would love to be one of Jesus' disciples. If you really thought about it, you probably wouldn't. But, you know, in theory, we would love to be there, to see Jesus, to be with him, even just to be in the crowd and and get to hear what he had to say. And yet Jesus says to his disciples, look, it's really actually better if I go. Because what's better than Jesus with people, a few people, is Jesus God in all people. And so the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, as we know, and Holy Spirit filled those people, and they became changed and transformed. And so when you read Acts, you read people who moved like the wind, who ignored the religious systems of the day, that ignored the social systems of the day. And when you see the church that started in Acts, it's complete mess, it's complete chaos. It doesn't make any sense to any kind of structure or system that would have been there at the time, but it makes complete sense to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is guiding and leading those people. And so, what I want us to think about is is the Holy Spirit really a person? But well, Right? Is the Holy Spirit really a person? You know, because we're happy to think about the power of the Spirit. You know, give me the power of the Spirit. Or do you feel the power of the Spirit in worship? Well, is the Holy Spirit just a power? Is, it a, is he a failing or, you know, or something like that? Or the gifts of the spirit. Give me the gifts of the spirit. You know, prophecy and tongues and, and whatever. Uh, as if they are just things that we can reach out and get and use. Like a utility belt, you know. I've got my gifts of, of speaking in tongues. I've got the gift of miracles here and away we go. Um, and if we exclusively use that kind of thinking, we're going to completely miss out what it is that God was, was doing and how he brings change and transformation to our lives. And so I just want to run through a few things, and it's kind of a wee bit, I wouldn't say theological, but it's just a few wee points just as we come to an end here to think about the Holy Spirit is really, really a person. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is a person. So the Holy Spirit speaks... So he expressly says um, that some will depart from the faith. The, the, the Spirit spoke to Philip and gave him directions to go and meet the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, specifically, that's in Acts 8. And he spoke to Peter and gave him a charge concerning the Gentiles when, when he spoke um, to him about going to see Cornelius. Um, the Holy Spirit bears witness. He teaches. He testifies as to who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit guides um, and uh, I'll read you out a wee. I can't. I don't have time to go through all of these, but um, this is from John sixteen twelve and thirteen. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And you notice that that's the words of Jesus. That he calls the Holy Spirit. He. He, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So in the words of Jesus, we find Holy Spirit presented as a he. The Holy Spirit forbids, and the Holy Spirit intercedes. And so we see again these characteristics of a person revealed in Scripture. And then we have... um, Holy Spirit, he has a mind, so he thinks. The mind of the Spirit in Romans eight twenty seven. 27, he has knowledge. Um, he knows the things of God. The Spirit um, discovers the deep things of God, as 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Um, and he possesses uh, affection. And so it says in Romans 15, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of, of, of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. So the love of the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit loves. He has affection. He has a will. The same Spirit works all these things, distributed to each one as he wills. And then the the Spirit has emotions, and so he can be grieved, he can be blasphemed, he can be insulted, he can be lied to, and he can be resisted. And so these are all emotional things that relate to the Holy Spirit. And so when you add these things up, and there are scripture verses probably multiple for all of these things. um, uh, If you think about the lied to one with Ananias and Sapphira, you know that Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Um, so you have to, the Holy Spirit has to be a person for, in, in, a, in order for you to be li- him to be lied to or insulted. Um, there's, the Holy Spirit has emotions. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a person in terms of he doesn't have a physical body. But he is a person in terms of how we relate to him in the same way that the Father God does not have an actual body. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And this really helps us then when we start to think about what it means to relate to Holy Spirit, what that might look like in our lives. Um, and the Spirit leads and guides us. He is with us. He came in Jesus' place in order to continue the work that Jesus was doing And Jesus led and guided and taught and demonstrated. And the Holy Spirit does those things as well in our lives. And he leads us into truth. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 it says, However it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. And, and so the Holy Spirit then, it says the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for he knows a person's thought. who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And yet, it goes on to say that we have that Spirit within us and that we have the mind of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is revealed Um, as being connected with the word and the revelation of the word and the revelation of truth. And so what we will find in Scripture all the time is that the word and spirit go hand in hand. And so, you know, many of us have have kind of had the experience before or have heard things, you know, about people who are just into the spirit and they're just all, all over the place. That can't be the case because the spirit and the truth need to be interconnected and are interconnected really tightly. And I'll just provide you just for a couple of examples of that. Um, and probably the best, so here's one from the Old Testament, um, where, where David's last words, it says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks to me. His word is upon my tongue. So have word and spirit together. Um, and after uh, Zechariah, after the return from Babylon, says, they made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words of the Lord Almighty that had been sent by his spirit. And so again we have word and spirit. And then if we think about Jesus himself when he declares his own ministry, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so we have word and spirit together as well. And um, we have this, this challenge, or if, if you like, an opportunity to really discover who Holy Spirit is. How he works, how he operates, how we can relate to him. How he is revealed through the truth and how he reveals truth to us. And this is about cultivating a relationship. Cultivating a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a really big challenge for us. Um, because we find it maybe easy in a way to relate to God as father. And if we don't, then you know, we, we can actually work through that. But we still know God as father. And if God is perfect and holy and, and right and just and true, which he is, then he is that as father. And, so, and we see Jesus and we can read about Jesus in the scriptures and we can see him as this person. Uh, But Holy Spirit is revealed more by his interactions with people than through himself, if you know what I mean. So in in some ways, it's a bit like hearing, when it comes to the Bible, it's a bit like hearing about somebody through other people, and, and maybe hearing at times one side of the conversation. But throughout the Bible, who Holy Spirit is, is revealed in his interactions with other people and his interactions with um, the Godhead as well. But then, we have Holy Spirit in us. He He lives in us. He witnesses to our spirit. He speaks to us. He reveals himself to us. And And it's in that context that we then start to think about what it means to live a spirit-filled life, what it means to be guided by the wind of the spirit. And I was thinking about the wind of the spirit in relation to the fact that we live in a society and in a culture where we're told what's acceptable and what's not, what way to go and what way not to go. And how are we going to navigate through life and all the difficulties that come up in life and how are we going to teach our kids to do that too unless we have somebody with us to help us navigate. And I think that we have to be filled with the truth of God's word and with the the Holy Spirit in order that we can actually think, well, this is the right way to go. This is the right way to go. Here's how the Holy Spirit is leading. We need to follow him. And here's what Holy Spirit is revealing. We need to see this as truth. And um, there are many issues, and I don't want to get on the hot topic issues, this morning, but I think in life we need to actually think word and spirit becomes our navigation, our map and compass for how to journey through life. No matter what comes up, no matter what circumstance, no matter what we're facing, that the wind of the spirit will be the way that we go, the direction that we take, how we, we deal with difficult relationships, how we deal with difficult circumstances, how we deal with pain. How we deal with with things in every aspect and every sphere of our life. You know, that we have the mind of Christ. And therefore, if you're in a business or a work situation, what does God's word have to say about it? And what does Holy Spirit have to say about it? It should become our reference points. If you're in a home or family situation, which is really difficult, um, and I know what that's like being a parent, you know, sometimes you're like, oh God, is there something in here that can help me? Or, you know, what are you saying, God? What is the way through? What is the way forward? In every circumstance and situation that we face in life, we have word and spirit as our guide. And it won't necessarily look like what the world says. Or what society says, or even sometimes what the church says, we will know the right way to go based on the word and the spirit together. And, and so, I'd love for us to, to just do a little bit of worship at the end again and just lean into this. And, and maybe one of the things that, that um, I would love to challenge um, you to think about this morning is do I have a relationship with Holy Spirit? Or, or, or has my, my thinking been narrowed? Do you think of Holy Spirit just in terms of power or gifts or experience? And what would it look like for me to embrace Holy Spirit more as a person? Because he seems to have a personality. He seems to be a person. He seems to relate personally. He seems to do that through scripture and, and, and revealed in, in, in all the ways that we've laid out there how can I actually cultivate and develop that relationship? What might that look like? And we're going to talk about that a bit more over the next number of weeks. But maybe um, today your prayer might be something around, Holy Spirit, will you help me to get to know you? Isn't it crazy that if if he is in us, that we don't know him as a person? You know? But yet... His desire is that we would that we would know him as a person, and there's there's no greater thing to have the than the person of God living and residing in you and with you and working in you and working through you and working through your heart and your emotions and and your mind so that you can be truly transformed and rather than just behavior modification and Let me tell you this just to be a hundred percent clear I love god's word, I love prayer. I love worship. I love being in church family, in God's house. But those things get completely changed and transformed and transform me and then transform all of you when Holy Spirit breathes life into them and enables us to keep his laws and his decrees and to truly know that we are his people. So why don't we stand and the band are going to lead us in a song.